Welcome to Inside the 435, a podcast dedicated to reporting the latest political and business news and giving people of all ideologies a platform to make their voices heard. Before we begin, please follow and share the show with all of your friends and feel free to message us on Instagram at Inside the 435 with any questions that you would love to hear answered on the show. And now, here's your host, Jack Bowie. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of Inside the 435, a show where we dive into the latest news and stories while putting the spotlight on students to make their voices heard. Someone who's certainly not a stranger to students is the superintendent of Perrysburg Schools, Mr. Tom Hostler. How are you doing today, sir? Good, Jack. How are you? I'm doing very well. Um, I know that, you know, we, we all know who you are, especially students at Perrysburg, and I remember a time when I believed that your only and most important duty was to tell us whether or not we had a snow day. And uh, your popularity or unpopularity depended on that, at least for a day. So I have a question for you. Uh, do you long for a time when that is your only concern? <laughs> well, it, it, it's, it's, it's funny, Jack, because my, my fortunes fall and rise depending on how that decision is made. So um, it's, uh, it's, it's, that's always a tough thing. You know, dealing with COVID, I, I, you know, the, the, the interesting thing is we always kind of joke a little bit about snow days. We'll, we'll tease, you know, kids will want a snow day and I check the roads and, um, and I've started to post pictures of the conditions because oftentimes, you know, when you have to make those decisions so early in the morning, by the time people roll out at nine o'clock, it looks much different. So, so, you know, giving a snapshot of what is out there is something I've done and, and people have reacted to that differently, but in, in all seriousness, that decision to, to whether or not to have school is something that is, um, is really, a, a um, it's, it's a stressful situation because you have to factor in that, you know, we have over 5,600 students. Uh, we have buses, we have walkers, we have student drivers. And um, on those questionable mornings, I personally go out, drive a part of the district to check the roads myself because I want to know personally what it is like out there because if heaven forbid, if something were to happen, you would just feel awful. Um, and, and so I, I want to, to experience what is out there to help make that, that decision. And there's a pit in my stomach on those mornings because I know students don't often recognize this, but we, we live in the north. Um, it snows and we can't cancel school every time we get an inch or two of snow. And so um, but I, I worry. And and actually with our our, um, our folks. I get a call when all the buses and all the kids arrive and, uh, and I always ask if there's been any issues, you know, I want to know. So, you know, and I carry that pit in my stomach because it is, it is sometimes out of your control and you're relying on, you know, so many other pieces to get kids back and forth safely. But with COVID, I think every day feels that way because there is this risk. This is viruses getting kids, um, you know, getting to kids and then jumping to their families and their grandparents, to our, our faculty and staff. And, and so the decisions that we're making are impactful. So this whole year feels like 
it's 545 on a snowy morning and I have to make a decision about whether or not to have school. And that pit of the stomach feeling, you know, like before you probably take a test or, you know, you've got something that you have to do or perform and you're nervous. Um, that's how, that's how I feel almost every day. So not a, not a great spot, but, um, but snow days are a great kind of reminder of, of that, uh, you know, that stress, that, that trying to get the decision right, evaluating it, looking at it up close, seeing what's actually happening. We've tried to um, do that with COVID too. So. Yeah. Yeah, Now that you, uh, yeah, now that you mentioned that, I think that all the students who are watching can leave. You got your answer. Um, but uh, you, you know, I, t- I talked to Mr. Pullman about this. Our, our biggest goal is education, and that can only happen when students are safe. So I can imagine how difficult that is this year, um, you know, just like how you mentioned that it's very difficult in the mornings. You know, you know, you need students to be in school, but educate, but safety is our priority. And uh, you've been at Perrysburg for 14 years, almost, I believe. Correct. So I'm Correct. sure you've yeah. had to make that yeah. decision. You've had to make that decision a lot. Why did you choose Perrysburg to start and why did you put up with us for 14 years? <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's actually been an honor. Um, uh, when uh, my wife and I, our, our first home, when we were first married, uh, we lived in Perrysburg and, and loved the community. Um, I have four children and two of them were born here. And uh, I wasn't working for Perrysburg at the time. I was actually working at St. John's uh, over in Toledo. I was an administrator there, and, and um, I accepted a principal's position in Southeast Michigan. And uh, my wife is an Ohio State uh, grad, and, and uh, we lived in Perrysburg. And it was about a 68-mile drive one way to, to the high school where I worked, and that was just too far. And, um, and being a high school principal, you're, you're going back for all these events. And, and so it was starting to wear on me, and I said, you know, we really need to move. And, you know, I was lobbying to move, you know, back where, you know, up, up to Michigan, live on a lake, you know, get a fishing boat. I had it all planned out for me, not for her, but for me. And, um, and so she said in true Ohio state fashion, I'm not moving to Michigan. The whole state smells like hot dog water. We, we made it to Sylvania. That's as far as I could go. So we were in Sylvania. Um, and, and so we've been there this time. And when, and so my career, I, I went from being a principal to being a superintendent in Michigan. We stayed in Sylvania. And then when I got the job in Perrysburg, it was really exciting because, you know, I had four children then and my oldest was just heading into high school. It's a perfect time to transition. We, we were looking at homes. We loved um, the idea of coming back to Perrysburg and we put our house up for sale. And of course, Jack, in 2007, 2008, uh, it was the Great Recession really started to happen. And so we had our house for sale for, for over two years, lowered the price. In the meantime, my daughter went from being an eighth grader to being going into her junior year. My other son, uh, my, one of my three sons was going to be a freshman. And all of a sudden, we're trying to move and, and their life um, is, is, you know, dad, I don't want to move schools. You know, I don't want to go. We don't want to move 17 miles miles down to Perrysburg in the middle of my junior year. And, you know, so all of a sudden I had to start thinking about them and, and, and timing. And, and so, um, you know, went to the board at the time and said, you know, we've really been trying to move and the house has been for, for like two years. My daughter's going into her junior year. I've got a son that's, you know, uh, a freshman and, you know, it's, it's, you know, it, it, this recession is really bad. So, 
Um, that's so that's why I still live in Sylvania now. But um, the idea of coming to Perrysburg as a school district, it, it is um, one of the premier districts in the state. Uh, it is a place where it's it's very innovative. Um, every student that that is is in Perrysburg is a yellow jacket, and that's unique and special. We have over 150 years of graduating uh, Perrysburg, you know, yellow jackets, and to have that kind of history, the tradition, um, just uh, it was very intriguing. And um, I thought that maybe if, if lucky enough to get the job, I could contribute and and um, help out. And, and so I think I was able to, to you know, to do that uh, and, uh, you know, have really enjoyed the time here. So it's been a pleasure. So, yeah, you've spent uh, most of your life in the Northwest Ohio area and Michigan, if I'm correct. Um, you went to school here. At your, you went to college in Toledo. And then in Michigan, you went to college again. Uh, you love school, apparently. So how did you, you know, start on this track? Where did you want to be when you were in college? Where did you see yourself being in 20 years? Yeah. So um, like many students, I, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And I think when I was a freshman in high school, I think I wanted a job with the Secret Service, um, you know, and I was very interested in maybe looking at that kind of a thing. And, and I think uh, as I went through high school, I began to think about, the um some of the teachers that i had and and i had a fifth grade teacher mrs jankowski who um was just really special and i was a walker so i walked to school every day she would she would let me in her classroom early and and i would help her kind of get ready for the day and we'd watch good morning america news show you know and and i was really interested in that and we would talk about politics and things that were happening and you know i can't necessarily recall like a lesson that I learned in her classroom. I don't remember what the spelling list was. Jack, there's probably a pretty good chance that I misspelled half of the words, but, um, but I do remember how she made me feel. And I, I remember how, um, you know, how important it was to have that connection. And, and so as I was getting into high school, I was thinking about those experiences. I was involved in a lot of different activities from, you know, uh, sports to, to yearbook, to band, and, and all of those were so life-changing and exciting to be around by the time I was looking at colleges, you know, my dad uh, was, was always very helpful and said, you know, you need to find something more than just the job. You want to find something that you really enjoy, something that you're getting up in the morning excited about. And as I looked at all the different kinds of things that I was sort of interested in, I, I kind of gravitated towards, you know, this, this idea of, of working with students and being a part of their lives. And, and, and I was, passionate about uh, literature and, and English. And, and so this made perfect sense. So, so I jumped into education and there was a couple of times I wasn't sure if I wanted to continue to do that and, um, you know, stayed the course. Right before I graduated, I worked for a company here in Toledo, um, General Mills and Betty Crocker. And I got a job at, like filling in. Uh, I, I worked in quality control. So some my day was filling in for the workers who worked in quality control. And what I did is when I worked on the Betty Crocker side, this, this plant would make brownie mixes and muffin mixes and all different kinds of cake mixes and frostings. And it was my job to test them. So I basically baked cakes 
brownies, muffins, and I had to t- test them. And, and then I gave them the okay to, to send them, to ship them to, to, into packaging. And then on the other side, cereal, I would go out every two hours and get like warm honey nut Cheerios and bring them back to the lab and test them to make sure they're the right vitamins. And it was an incredible, one of the, one of the things that I had to do is like, like Lucky Charms, there was a ratio of how many, um, how many marshmallows could be in a, in a box of cereal. And then when it was all done testing that, I had like a pile of, of, you know, marshmallows from Lucky Charms. It was a, it was a pretty interesting job. And actually working part-time there, uh, filling in on vacations and weekends and when people didn't want overtime, I was making more money than what I would have earned as a first-year teacher. So I had another kind of crossroad like, okay, I've been going to college. I'm getting ready to graduate. Teaching pays a lot less. If I were to get a full-time job here, I would make a lot more but then I kept hearing my dad's voice, like, you know, do I, do I love this job? Am I waking up every morning thinking about, boy, I can't wait to see how many, what the ratio of marshmallows is to Lucky Charms. I wasn't. So I, I, I left that position. The people that I worked with were like, this makes a lot more money than teaching. Why are you doing this? And I'm like, I just need to be really happy. And this is what my passion is. And, and so that's kind of led me throughout my career and being an administrator I'm still a teacher at heart. I'm still passionate about teaching and, and, you know, and, and, you know, being involved with the schools and the way I approach it is actually the classroom uh, that I have now as a superintendent is just larger. It's the whole community. It's the whole state versus those 30 students that I used to, to teach. So, so I've always been a teacher and continue to try to be a teacher at heart, but yeah, it, it, um, there were a couple of times I was kind of tempted to, to walk away, but at the end of the day, um, I knew that this was really something that was that, that I really wanted to do. Well, that certainly seems like the dream job that none of us really knew existed. Uh, but you have spent most of your career, it seems, uh, in administration, um, but you did teach for a while at, I think, St. John's. What drew you to an administrative position, uh, you know, against a teaching position, you know, they're very different, but their goal's the same. You know, as a, as a teacher, I I loved working with the students, being in the classroom, um, seeing their progress. Uh, when, when a student would come back and visit me from college and talk about a, a great book that they read or a piece of literature that they covered in class, I mean, I really love that. And that was exciting to, to have those kind of connections. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I began to, to think about is, um, you know, there's ways that I can continue to help those students and, and being in the classroom is one way and, and it's, an, it's, it's the most important way. But I think that, that there are other ways that we can help uh, students, you know, be successful in the classroom. So jumping into administration, being an assistant principal, principal, um, again, it's, it's how can I help support the teachers, help support the families, the, the students, and, and maybe eliminate barriers that, that might be present so that, that students can really enjoy themselves more and, and learn more in class, be safer. And, and so I really began to think about kind of a, a bigger view of not just my classroom, but an entire building and how do I have any skills or anything that I can do to help contribute to make that a better environment for, for all students? 
students. And that, that was kind of the lure of, you know, move, stepping out of the classroom. But it was a tough decision for sure. Uh, a superintendent has a lot of duties in a normal year, in a normal time. And this year has, well, not necessarily this year, but the past 12 months have been completely different, unprecedented. You have no playbook. So how have you um, been able to balance all of your normal duties that haven't gone away with these new major COVID struggles? You know, if, if, if students talk to their, you know, parents and, and, you know, I talked to a lot of parents, I think one of the things that, um, that we hear is everything has changed. So your world, Jack, has gotten a lot more complicated than it was before, you know, showing up to school, knowing exactly what time and the teachers give you homework and you, you kind of have this routine down. And now all of a sudden, everything's been kind of turned inside out for students and that, you know, any kind of change brings stress and some of it is good. Um, and some of it isn't necessarily good. Here we are doing an interview at, at two o'clock and, you know, in, in a typical school day, this wouldn't have been possible. I think that's great. And I think there's things that we're going to learn from this experience that, that we'll need to continue to refine and, and get better. And so, but, but it's, you know, your parents and families are having to adapt to not going into the office or, you know, not working and dealing with the stress that that brings. So all of us, I think, have experienced this, this change in what we do. Um, in education, I would, I would say that, I, I don't know, Jack, are you right or left-handed? I'm right-handed. All right. So imagine one day waking up and saying, today, from now on, you're going to have to write left-handed and do everything left-handed. It would be a challenge. It wouldn't be pretty. Um, you know, how you hold your pen and try to, to manipulate it to write letters. Everything that you have been doing your whole life and are used to with your right hand now, you're having to shift. And that would cause stress. It would cause things to be a little bit sloppy. It would cause things to, to slow down. And I think what happened with COVID is we went from being right-handed and, what, you know, getting that down. Our handwriting was beautiful. We did a great job in Perrysburg face-to-face doing what we do. And all of a sudden, our buildings are shut down on March 17th of 2020. And now we're having to write left-handed. And so I think we've done a really good job of, of being able to, to print neatly, as neat as we can with our left hand. And, and I think that that's how you know, I would describe how we're, we're, we've been forced to operate. And now we're writing with our left and right hand because we have some things that are online, some things that are in person. So during the day, we're constantly shifting our, our, our hands and, and trying to, to write with both, both hands. So I think that's been one of the biggest challenges. I'll give you an example of how everything we do is now, you know, a question. And this has really slowed things down. But I, I got a phone call from Mr. Jaco, the athletic director. It was before school started. And, and I couldn't pick it up right away. I was on a Zoom and, and, uh, and he said, I need to talk to you right away. So I gave him a call back and I, I said, you know, Mr. Jaco, what's, what's going on? And he, he said, well, we've got the t football team lined up for pictures and, and we're getting them ready for lined up to be lined up for pictures. We have a question. Should the team have their masks on or off? And, and at that moment, it was a big deal. Because our, you know, they're going to be close together and they're football and yeah, they're they're tackling each other. But 
you know, that we're, we're going to be sitting them down in a different arena. Should they have their masks on or off? We need clarification. And then the other question is, well, what will happen when we put this picture out and it's in the messenger journal and people are looking at it saying there's a football team and no one's wearing a mask. So something as simple as we need a team picture line up is now something that we have to kind of think through the COVID lens and say, you know, should we do it this way? What are the factors? What makes sense? What's easy for students? And, and I think that that's just a, a one example of how the simplest thing that we do and take for granted every day has now become a question mark. How are we going to do this? And from taking students to lining up for buses, how we serve food in the cafeteria, everything's a question mark. So that's made it a, a, a real challenge for us. Yeah, our soccer team, we were taking pictures and we knew that we were going to be safe lining up next to each other. We practiced for the past three months during the summer, um, but we knew that it would be safer and look better if we had our masks on. But this year, um, you know, it's been, it's been, we're coming up on a year since uh, we've been shut down. Of all of the changes that we've had to make, which one has had the most positive impact at Perrysburg? You know, going going back to um, going back to July, we really didn't know what to expect. COVID, you know, was was really spiking in other areas of the country. We knew that the, there were some cases in Ohio, and it was just starting to happen. And we really hadn't seen the full five hundred and thirty thousand deaths yet. And so we were having to plan for a school year. Schools were closed. We had to plan for a school year. And I think the, the, the approach that we took based on the information that we had, you know, we had elementary students going every day, four days a week. Uh, we had uh, fourth and, um, you know, fifth and sixth grade HPI going every, um, you know, four days a week. The junior high and high school uh, were, were going two days a week with the remote Mondays. And at that time, there weren't a lot of other districts that were really talking about what they were going to do, but we felt pretty strongly like, this is how we're going to have to operate to give kids a, our best chance. And we had, we had people in the community and staff saying, you know, why even bother? We should just start the year remotely. And, and back then there wasn't a lot of talk about, well, we need to be going five days a week in normal. And, and I know there are some small schools and districts that have been able to do that. But to give it perspective, Perrysburg High School would be like the fourth largest city in Wood County. So you've got Rossford, Perrysburg, Bowling Green, and I think, I'm not 100%, I think we're larger than Pemberville. Perrysburg High School is like the fourth or fifth largest city in Wood County. And we're going to take the residents of the fourth or fifth largest city and stick them in a 400,000 square foot building. And every 50 minutes, we're going to ring a bell and everyone's going to mix it up again in a pandemic. And it's like, we really can't do that um, because that's going to be problematic. But if I was back at St. John's and I had, you know, when I was at St. John's, we only had four grades and we had about 800 to 900 students today. I think they have, um, you know, grades six through 12. I think they have 600 students, a lot more room. They don't do transportation. It's much easier for them to spread out. But in our high school, the number of students that are in a classroom, it made it really difficult. So I think the success that we had was really planning for that, that start that was very stable, that we were able to provide, you know, that, that, 
instruction and at many of the levels. Um, and, and we hung on to that without a lot of changes for families and students because that, that doesn't, you know, bode well. But, um, and then we were able to make adjustments. Um, we were going to, we brought the junior high back in October, early November for more days. And, um, and then everything got really bad in the community. And, and around Thanksgiving, we had to pull back. So I think the success has been our ability to maintain that plan, to be able to provide that instruction, to do it in a way that hasn't been so disruptive to families. And, um, and I think that's worked out well for us. Yeah. Um, and we, us being a very large school doesn't help and being a public school made it much more difficult for us because we couldn't make our own decisions on many things. Uh, and we were forced to do what's safest for us, but we also had restrictions from the state. So, uh, nobody's claiming, you know, nobody's claimed that we've done everything perfectly this year. You haven't claimed that the board hasn't claimed it. So what lessons have we learned that, you know, what, if we could go back and change one thing, what, what would we have done differently? Um, you know, that, that's a great question. It's one we think about quite a bit. Um, I, I think, um, it's, it's interesting. We talked about this at the, at a recent board meeting, when we began the school year, um, we had, uh, folks that were calling the health department week every day complaining about the fact that Hull Prairie was going to school four days a week. And they had class sizes of 20, 25 students, um, sometimes a little bit even greater. In fact, um, folks called, um, when that, when that didn't help or, or get the result that they wanted, they called the local media. There were some newspaper articles. We had a couple TV stations that came out, did interviews about how people were upset with, you know, the exposure and what we were doing. And, and then here we are, the pendulum has kind of swung all the way the other way where now people are saying, you know, we need to be back five days a week and why didn't we do this? And they forget that at the very beginning, people were really complaining and adamant about that. So I think looking back at what we did, um, Thank you for listening to Inside the 435. Our show is supported by sponsors and our loyal audience. This episode is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. This podcast is hosted and produced with Anchor. Here is why you should use Anchor to produce your podcast. It's free, no cost to you ever. There are creation tools built into Anchor allowing you to record, edit, and upload your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor takes the tedious and long process of distribution off of your to-do list. Your show will be automatically distributed to Spotify and Apple Podcasts for you. Everyone dreams of making a little bit of money from a podcast. This is made possible by Anchor. With no minimum listenership, you can be offered sponsorships. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Do not wait a second longer. Download the free Anchor app, that's A-N-C-H-O-R, or go to anchor.fm to get started today. I think that um, the idea of, of trying to find a, a better solution for students who are quarantined to be engaged in their daily classroom. So we have the remote Mondays at the high school and, and junior high. We had alternating days, information being shared. But I think trying to establish a better connection for those students, I, I think that would be, if I could have one do-over, I think we would have spent more time exploring. I don't know if we would have found a perfect fit, 
but for those students, and we had 2,000 students quarantined the first semester, um, if we could have figured out a way with technology to get them plugged in, um, that, you know, I think we would have spent more time on that. A lot of people say, Jack, they say, you know, well, why doesn't the teacher just turn on Facebook and turn their camera on? And as you know, the, the teacher's computer is what they teach off of. Um, so when you're, you have your computer tied up and you're broadcasting out, um, problem number one is, you know, how do you access the PowerPoint, your attendance, pull up the emails on all the things that teachers do with their device during school? That really limits that. So, so that's issue number one. And issue number two, with all of our students who are in school online and our teachers online, and now we're doing video, which, you know, video and audio, which slows down your internet connection. Um, we, we had a, a problem trying to support that in a broad sense. So when students are home, it's on their, you know, your home right now, it's your internet connection, it's not the school's. But when, when everyone is in school and they're all doing audio and video and, and it really bogs down the network. So I think if we had to do over, we would have spent more time trying to problem solve with that, which, which we have been doing, but um, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been a challenge. I think in the future, too, what we're going to learn from this is that we have the ability, if we need to, for short, and I mean very short, uh, a week or less, periods of time to teach from home and that our teachers can adapt to that uh, since they've done it before. So if we have a situation like we had when I think it was 2014 when I was in like third grade and we were off school for two weeks, you know, we almost have a way to not have to waste two weeks of our snow days um, and then come back later at the end of the year. Uh, And I think that that ability for us to switch to virtual for, you know, a short period of time is going to benefit us in the future. And we wouldn't have that ability if it weren't for the pandemic. No, and that's a, that's a great point, Jack, because I think um, one of the things that, that I think in the, is we look beyond COVID. There's many things that we need to get back to thinking about with education. And one of the things before COVID hit that we were really beginning to have discussions about, and I think what we've learned, as you pointed out, will be helpful in the future, but we've been concerned about the number of high school students who are graduating from high school, going on to college, who really don't have um, a clear career path. They don't know what they want to do. And they go in, you know, like, well, I think I'm going to do business and not really know what that means. Or I want to be an engineer because my uncle's an engineer or accounting or, and, and then they end up having to change their majors. And we've been talking a lot internally about how can we give students that opportunity to experience those careers and learn about those careers um, so that by the time they get there, at, at worst, they've eliminated some. You know, so if you're interested in being in accounting and you spend a, a couple of days with an accountant, you say, oh, that is not for me. Well, at least we've crossed that off the list. And so I think the future having the ability of students to maybe do some internships to go out and experience and shadow and then go home and then pick up the work that they missed while doing that um, with, with an, uh, with a remote kind of a situation. um, I think that could provide a a vehicle for us to help solve a a problem uh, of, of students who are getting into college and just not sure what they want to do and spending extra years and semesters and money um, you know, trying to figure it out. So 
So I think there's some real benefits to what we can do based on what we've learned here. And that, that would be one example of one. Do you believe that in the coming years, uh, you know, we, we really don't have a way to see the uh, educational effects and the psychological effects of almost a year of losing school um, full time. So in the coming years, are we going to see the effects and how intense are those effects going to be on students who are going to college and into the workplace with, you know, possibly their most important year of high school? sort of wiped away. Yeah, I, we think about that a lot. And I think there's a couple of perspectives to, to kind of, um, I think there's a couple of perspectives that we can keep in mind as we, as we talk about this. Um, one, I know we have teachers and we have um, staff here who have done um, assessments with students to see where they are today versus where they were last year and the year before. So we, we, we have teachers that are continue, continuously monitoring the progress of students to see, um, based on like in elementary school, I don't know if you remember, but star reading and math assessments. So we, we've got data that we can compare this class to last class. We can compare this student's growth. And we're very fortunate that in, in some cases, we have not seen that huge disparity, that gap. Now, are students getting the depth? that they've gotten in the past. And, and clearly in some case, you know, our elementary has been back four days a week. Now they're five days a week. So for our elementary students and, and the whole prairie for a whole semester was four days a week. Um, I, the, that feels more like the progress we've seen in years when we've gone full time. So we're now we're focusing on junior high and high school. And, and a lot of those assessments, a lot of where teachers are in teaching the lessons is, um, is, is not too far off. Off. Um, we have some students who've really thrived in this environment and like it, and we have had some that it's been very challenging and it's more of a disaster for them. They're just not equipped to, to, to learn in this capacity. So, so, so that's one thing. Um, you know, we have data. We're starting to see data come in where we can measure that difference. And, and in some cases, it's not as great across the board, um, but it's certainly not a place where we want to be. I think the second thing is, um, I was thinking about the, uh, over the summer I read a, a book about Winston Churchill and it was um, the, the, I'll probably get the title wrong, but it was the, 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 the evil, the splendid and the vile. And it was about the challenges that, that Britain was facing during, you know, the, the, the battle for Britain, which was, you know, the Germans were, you know, bombing, all of Britain, um, all the time, every night. And every morning they would wake up and they would find, you know, buildings and homes and schools and rubble and they would go about their day. And I was thinking about the students who had to live through that experience where literally their school was bombed overnight. And, and they made adjustments and they did the kinds of things to, to help students get through that. And it was not an ideal environment for learning while your city is being bombed every single night. But those students were able to overcome that. They were able to, when the war was over, they were able to, to make up that, you know, make up that growth and that difference. Um, like the United States and the world today, um, where everyone has experienced this in Britain, all students were experiencing those kinds of things. So there wasn't a situation where it was just 
Perrysburg or just um, a city, you know, Manchester was suffering and everyone else was thriving. I think everybody is in that same boat. Dr. Short um, has taken up woodworking and, and he had a great um, kind of analogy that I'll share. And he said, you know, when I'm working on a piece of, uh, of you know, um, a project and I look at the, the grain and you can see the rings around the, the, in, the, in the trunk of the tree. And each ring represents a year of growth. And there are some rings that there's been tremendous growth where the tree grew significantly in one year. And, and then there's other years where that, that, that growth is a bit then smaller. And maybe there was a drought. Maybe there wasn't a lot of sunlight. Maybe there was too much water. That can affect that tree's growth. But at the end of the day, the, the, the tree grew considerably. And it grew strong and it grew tall and it made up for those times where there wasn't growth and you saw where there was tremendous growth. So I think we have to keep in mind that while academically there, this might be a year when if, if this sounds terrible, Jack. So if we were to cut you open and count the academic rings that, that you have, you know, this year it might not be as great as it was two years ago. But I do think that like that tree, I think there's going to be continued growth throughout. And I think it'll find a way to, to, to level out. The other thing is we get hung up on academic growth. And think about this for a moment. How much of this would you be doing on your own if, if we didn't have COVID? So you emailed me. You thought about important questions. You solicited uh, you know, information from the community. You've had to learn software. This is a new type of, you know, um, streaming system that you've had to negotiate and capture. That is huge growth. That is incredible growth to be able to be so professional like you are to ask these questions to, to engage in this activity is huge. That's huge growth. Now, it's not going to show up on your on how you're doing in algebra. But as a person, you've been able to grow. So we can't always get hung up on the academic piece only. We need to take a look at all the other things that students have experienced, good and bad, because those are growth opportunities too. Yeah, um, I've noticed that a lot of our students who have had more days off in a week have taken up different hobbies, have taken up different sports, have learned how to operate in the workplace. And, you know, well, that's not necessarily going to right, benefit them on an algebra test, it's something that we wouldn't have experienced without. And potentially, I would not have learned how to, um, you know, live stream to a bunch of people in an interview, because we might be sitting in a room uh, recording this with a phone, if, you know, we were able to be together. So we, there's been a lot of growth. We've learned, I think everybody in the country's learned a lot. Um, even if our, you know, Academics might have been hurt a little bit, which I think will be considered by colleges, considered by jobs. You lived through one of the biggest pandemics in modern history. That's going to be considered. And I don't necessarily know if there's going to be a major academic, you know, pain in the future uh, when it comes to college and jobs. Um, so I have heard a lot about from the community about how. Um, our school board and how our schools have been handling certain situations. And there are some things that I would like to, you know, echo to you and give you a chance to uh, 
give your point of view on. So some people in the community have um, made their voices heard and they believe that the school is making decisions based on the needs of the teachers and the needs of the students and or the needs of the school and sort of uh, kicking the parents to the side, kicking the students to the side. Uh, so what are your, what's your reaction to that? Yeah, I, I, you know, I think one of the things is it, it would actually be an easier situation to deal with if there was a block of parents and a block of teachers and the school board, and they all agreed on what should happen. And the reality is, is that doesn't exist. So as I, as I mentioned, the beginning of the school year, we had parents who were actively wanting us to not have students go four days a week. They were actively wanting us to, to, you know, go remote and begin the year that way. And, and we, you know, felt that based on the information that we have, this is what we wanted to do. And, and, and now we're hearing from the other parents who are saying, you know, we want more of that. And, and so that's with, with parents, there, there is a lot of, of differing opinions on what should happen and shouldn't happen. So when, when all the parents w agree, then it's very easy to, to bring them in and to say, okay, what is it that you want? But the reality has been, just like it's playing out with, with everyone across the country, people have very strong opinions one way or the other way. And, and trying to hear those things, the one thing that you're going to be guaranteed is that no one is going to be absolutely happy with everything that we do. Um, the schools are also part of a bigger uh, part of this. So we're not independent of our county health department. We're not independent of the Ohio Department of Education, and we're not independent of the Ohio Department of Health. So, so a lot of what we're able to do is based on those guidelines, and, and it varies from community to community as well. Um, teachers, just like parents, are all over the place in how they feel. We have some teachers, and, and maybe you've picked up on this with your teachers, and we won't ask you to identify them. Um, we'll keep their names out of it. But there's probably some of your teachers who are like, we should be back five days a week. Let's get going. And then we have other teachers who are very nervous, who are very cautious, who feel that we are going too far too fast. So, so I, I wish we were in an environment where all the parents felt this way, because I would certainly do everything I can to make sure we're doing what all the parents want. Problem is that like the rest of society, there is little agreement on how it should be done. And even if parents agree on, we should have our students back five days a week, there's even differences in terms of how that looks and how, how that should go, where we have some parents saying, you know, five days a week, put 80 kids on a bus, no masks, let's go. Kids aren't getting sick. And then we have other parents are saying, well, wait a minute, I think we should be five days a week, but we need to keep social distancing. We need to keep the buses spread out. We need to. So even, even when parents agree on this is the path, there are many, many differences there. And the same goes for our, our students. Um, you know, I had a son that graduated last year from Perrysburg. My, my youngest son graduated and he um, was, you know, a, a senior. And I think about as a parent, I'm, I'm speaking now, in everything that he lost, because on March 17th, it was the end of his senior year. There was no, all the stuff that happens in school at the end of the year, the proms, the, the, the full graduation ceremony, 
he was a track athlete. He was a defending uh, NLL champion in high jump. He was being recruited by colleges as a, as a junior, really looking forward to his senior year. All of it gone. So as a parent, I felt and saw the pain and the loss that that brought. And, and I can't think of another class that has probably been as affected as, as, as that because it just stopped. It was like there's nothing. And there was so much uncertainty because, again, we were going to come back in April and then they extended it. And then we're going to come back in May and then they extended it. So there was no ability to have that closure in those experiences. So that experience I had as a parent, I, I've really carried that into everything that we're doing as a school district. Because we want to find a way to give our students that, that, that experience that they can have that, that, they, that they need. So, so my, my default is, what can we do to get students those experiences as much as we can, as frequently as can, and, and get them back into the most normal situation as we can, without disrupting, without spreading, without doing those things. And that's been the, the difficult balancing act. If, if we had 30 students in a class at Perrysburg High School, 1,600 students there, we had 2,000 students quarantined in the first semester, um, imagine how many students would have been quarantined in the first semester, and, and that isn't good, and that would be very disruptive. So, I'm, you know, I've kind of approached things, you know, listening to parents. I was a parent. I experienced this, um, trying to find what we can do, and then also the health department has a big stick with when and how they choose to, to, they say, these are the guidelines you must follow. And we have to follow those. And when they say, this is how you have to quarantine students, that's not us, that's them. So, so um, you know, we've tried to listen to parents. We've tried to give them as much as they can uh, want for their children. That's really important. Um, but we've also had to operate within these guidelines. And, and you know, those guidelines have been so frustrating. Like right now, we're, we're planning for the high school to come back. You have plexiglass in your, in your, your lunch room or your lunch tables, and we limit how many, and we're gonna set up another uh, round of cafeteria tables up in the gym on the second floor. But all of you, you know, Jack, you could get 10 of your friends, nine of your friends, go to Frickers after school, sit 10 at a table with no plexiglass and have dinner. That's okay. But in schools, we have to operate differently. And I think that's been incredibly frustrating to families as well is to understand like, so you open casinos, but you close schools or schools are closed. How, how does that, there's just been so many of those kinds of things that have made parents and, and community members just more, I think, um, angry with, the why. And, and I think we've had to brunt a lot of that because we're trying to operate in that space and um, try, trying to find consensus. We, we, I don't know if that really exists in a way that we can use that to, to, to do things. And even if we could, Jack, the health department would say, you can do this or you can't do that and on many levels. And, and that's been a challenge too. So I don't know if that answers your question. Oh, no, that's good. Um, I think it's really important for everyone to understand that we all want to go back to school and get some normalcy. That's everybody's goal. That's what we want. But we also all understand that we need to stay safe. We need to do it safely. And, you know, it is true that we are in a better spot as uh, 
schools, since mo our, our primary uh, population is young, and we know that this virus is not incredibly dangerous with younger people, um, but it the, our biggest concern is younger people giving it to uh, parents and grandparents. And I think it's important for people to understand those two things, you know, what we need. Um, I've got a great teacher right now who wants to give back to school, teaches, you know, honors biology, hard topic. And, you know, we need to learn that in school. But she also understands that, you know, we need to do it safely. Biology teacher. So, you know, we, she understands we need to do it safely. Mrs. Maxwell, great teacher. Thank you. Um, but let's get back nice to it. So some, oh, let me, yeah. Jack, let, let, Jack, let me ask you this. So, you know, when you talk to your friends, are they nervous about coming back five days right now and, and four days and then five days? I mean, what's kind of the, the word on the street with your, your, your classmates and friends? I have talked to multiple people who are um, very, uh, you know, just ready to come back. And, you know, for obvious reasons, it's not been easy. Uh, it's, it's harder to keep those grades that we expect. But I've also spoke to people who do think that they're, they'd be put at a higher risk or they have parents who are at a high risk and they, you know, that their biggest priority is safety. And I've noticed that those people um, really do not want to be forced to go into uh, the completely virtual learning program when we do return to school. Um, and, and they've said that they would rather put their, their safety at risk because it is so incredibly difficult to deal with everything they have to deal with from home. And I think it's tough that people are, you know, especially teenagers are being forced to make those decisions. Um, but yeah, it, it isn't easy doing what we're forced to do now. And I, I know that I, you know, from talking to people that being completely virtual, you know, when we were on, on a hybrid schedule is not easy. There's, you know, not as much teacher uh, involvement that students really need to succeed. So that that's the consensus I'm getting. There's, it's a lot of people want to come back, but then there are people who have pretty valid concerns. Um, for their own safety and the safety of their family. Yeah, yeah. No, thanks for sharing that. And I think what students are experiencing, I think that probably is exactly what, you know, what families are feeling and community members and teachers. It's just there's no, you know, there's no, there's no right way. Everyone has these different ideas and feelings, and that makes it really challenging. Yeah, um, I, I do have a couple questions. They're they're pretty simple yes yep. or no questions, but because they're they're right. some either hunches or things that people have heard that they'd like to be clarified. So uh, okay. some members of the community have expressed concern that the school's preparing to cut out high school transportation permanently in the future. Um, you know, and w nobody's said anything like that, but it, it's starting to look like we're you know preparing for that with a bus bus shortage, bus driver shortage. So, you know, how can you speak to that? Um, I, I think I would describe that as fake news. Um, that is something that, um, you know, we to do. So in Ohio, and I'll try to go quickly. In Ohio, by law, we have to provide transportation for students in K, uh, kindergarten through eighth grade. In high school, by law, we don't have to provide transportation. Um, the... Um, for us to do the social distancing with the just the elementary, to run the same number of kids uh, by bus as we did last year before COVID, we've had to use seven buses additional. So where did we get those buses to do that? 
well, it's from the high school. And, and that, that's all that, that is. Um, one of the things that, that this is, this is important is that COVID has exposed the fact that we do have, we live in Perrysburg and, and people have stereotypes all the time that everybody is, is, you know, affluent. Everybody is doing very well. They don't have family problems or other issues. And, and, and Jack, you, you know, as well as I know, you know, from, from talking with people and experiences, that's not the case. So one of the things that we're being very cautious of is creating an environment where those families that are already disadvantaged are going to be further disadvantaged. And transportation for some families, you know, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a problem. Um, it's an inconvenience, but, you know, mom or dad is home and they have the ability or flexibility to drive their child every day. There are some families, and, and the number is larger than you, you realize, that there might only be one parent or a parent may not have that ability to do that. And how in the world is that, that student going to get to high school every single day? And that's one of those things that pit in the stomach that, that keeps me up at night is those families, we can't do something that is going to cause that further divide with those families that are already struggling and, and restoring high school transportation is, is a huge part of not having that be uh, uh, something that's going to contribute to a divide. So, so um, cutting transportation at the high school level was a necessity so we could make the required transportation obligation work for our elementary students. When we get to a, place, and I'm hoping it's next fall, we will run transportation the way that we have in the past and we'll have high school, you know, door to door or, or neighborhood to neighborhood transportation. That's a must because I believe it is a, a, an equity issue because there are families that just can't do it. And those students are going to not be able to get to school. That's the last thing we want to do. And, and so no, that, that's, that's not accurate. All right. That's, that's good to hear. Um, and I, I have one question that's um, kind of evolved as new news has come out, you know, in the, I think it was the February 16th meeting, um, the board approved uh, the purchase of portable buildings or uh, quote learning pods for $600,000. And that's because we've outgrown our buildings. What is the permanent solution going to be? Because we just spent, you know, a lot of money on tax levies. We just built Hall Prairie and the growth just isn't stopping. So, you know, what's our permanent outlook? So um, in, in 2019, and, and it's on our website, we created a, um, um, a facilities master plan. And we took um, a look at all of our buildings and what their capacities are. Uh, we worked with uh, a couple of different um, organizations, an organization, Plant Moran, and we had a local a PhD who's very experienced with statistics, who did a, an analysis of projections for enrollment. And we looked at where are there, where are there going to be those kind of pressure points that, that we have where we're going to reach capacity. The high school obviously is, is that first one. Um, the uh, elementaries, I think, will be the next one that we will face that pinch. So, so you know, this is something that we've had to face as a community. So when people say, you know, we need to stay ahead of the growth, that means building buildings before kids are here. And, and that's a challenge for 
the taxpayer saying, why are you building a building that's going to be empty for three years? Well, because our projections are, because when this class gets there, so there's a, there's a little bit of a balancing act that has to happen where we have to educate the community. There has to demonstrate that need. And then we have to, to, to ask the voters to approve it. So the answer to the question is, how do we avoid having to be in a position to add portables? And that is building buildings that will be empty for a while until students move in. And that's a really tough sell to the majority of community members. Going back to, to 1930, we built the, the new high school, the Commodore Building was 1930. And every decade since then, the district has either expanded significantly or added a new building. With the exception of 1940, the decade of the 40s. So 1930, we built a new high school. 1940s, we went to war and didn't build a, didn't add on a new building. But in the 1940s, we built, or 1950s, we built two new buildings, um, Frank and Toast. And then in the 1960s, we built the new junior or the junior high, which was then the high school. And then in the 1970s, we built Woodland. And in the 1980s, we built, um, you know, we did an expansion. Uh, in the 1990s, we added on to, uh, or uh, we, we built, uh, opened up um, Fort Megs. And then in 2000, it was the high school. So from 2000 until 2017, well, 2014 is when the levy went on, we had growth. It was more than a decade, and we managed it with, um, you know, portables and, and really trying to maximize. We moved the preschool over to Mommy. We really tried to stretch that as far as we could, and then we went to the voters in 2014 and said, we're going to need a building. And then that building created space at the junior high and, and the elementary. So this next decade that we're into now, you know, 2021, we know that the high school is that pressure point. The high school was built to be expanded. So I think that's, you know, that's good news that there was that planning that went in back in the, in the 1990s when they designed the high school. Um, and now as a 21-year-old building, it, it's, it's, it's full. And the elementaries, um, you know, looking at that quadrant between the high school and Hall Prairie, there's a lot of growth there. It's not slowing down. We don't have a building in that area in elementary. And that's one of the nice things about Perrysburg is having these um, neighborhood schools that people you know, can attend. And when we did the master planning, we engaged a wide variety of community groups and residents. And you know, we did a survey and it's on the presentation. One of the things that we heard was people like this idea of having the school in that area not being bused across town for elementary. So. I think probably in the next five to 10 years, we'll be adding on to the high school. And then we'll probably at the same time be looking to build another elementary in that Southwest side where all the growth is happening. But that, that's a conversation that has to happen. The community has to be kind of um, understanding the need. We have to make the case. And in the meantime, what do we do with, you know, with, with students? Where do we put them? Uh, as you know, the high school, and you'll probably see it more, when you guys are all back, you know, four and five days a week, but we have nine teachers that are in carts right now that are finding the open classroom to teach. Uh, we have a couple of periods where there aren't any open classrooms. We have a incoming uh, freshman class of, of over 460 students projected, and we're graduating a class of about 400. So the numbers are, are, are big. And, and in the meantime, you know, 
you know, how do we stay ahead of it? Portables are part of that temporary solution until we get to a place where the community says, you know, let's do that. But generally speaking, communities do not support levies to build buildings that are going to be empty and then someday be full. It's finding that right blend. And, and that's kind of what we've begun to do is talk about that. Right. Without even considering the fact that we gain a lot of students every year anyway, we gain students from private schools. We're going to be adding 60 students from, um, you know, just the difference of our current ninth, eighth grade class and our current senior class. Um, are you worried about a potential need for another levy after our 2019 levy passed with such, you know, razor thin margins? Um, so, yeah, I mean, we, we, we worry about that. Um, so the levy cycle that we have in, in 2024, that levy that passed in 2019 will be expiring. So the community will, will be making a decision. The board will have to make a decision to say, do we want to renew it or do we want to replace it? So renew it is keep it at the same level. Replace it is, well, let's, let's, you know, let's add a little bit more to it and, and, you know, keep up with growth or we let it expire and then we lose those funds. Um, so the board will have to make that decision in, in 2024. We have a, a permanent improvement levy that was just passed um, this past November. Since 1980, every five years, that levy has been um, uh, put before the voters and the voters have approved it. So this past year, there was a levy and it's a renewal. Um, and it, it whatever we collected last year, whatever taxpayers paid last year, it's the same amount of millage. So, so that passed by a very comfortable margin. And, um, and so that one will expire in 2025. So those are the two levies that, that are out there that we will have to wrestle with. You know, there'll be a point where the board, the community will come together and say, what do we want for our community? Do we want rows of, you know, portable classrooms lined up outside the high school because we don't want to, to, to add on? We don't want to spend the tax dollars to do that. And if that's what the community wants, then that's, we'll do that and we'll make it work to the best of our ability. But at some point, the community may say, we didn't move to Perrysburg to have our kids having to walk outside and, and go into trailers to learn. We want this for our community. And ultimately, the community is going to decide. So our, our role is to, to educate the board on the options. They hear from the community. And then ultimately, there's a vote. And then the community decides what kind of schools it, it wants. And we live in a time where, um, you know, I think every levy is, 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 is always a challenge. And, um, and, and so we were grateful that the community passed the levy. And, and um, you know, and, and we know that anytime you have a levy, there's always a concern. There's always a problem with, you know, making sure that people understand the reasons why. I think social media has made it a lot more difficult because somebody can post something that may not be true and put it out there. And then 200 comments later, you know, people are believing that that's the truth. And, and we see it with national and state elections, the role of social media and, and information that may not be accurate. And, and the same holds true with schools. But, you know, we, we've got a, a track record, I think, here in the community of going when there is a need, you know, making the case. And then we've been very grateful that the community has answered and said, you know, we support that. But um, the, the issue about growth is always interesting because the schools take the brunt of it. What are you going to do to control growth? What is it that, 
you know, what are your plans to deal? And, and people don't talk about the fact that Middleton Township, Perrysburg Township, and the city of Perrysburg, they're the ones that actually approve the housing developments that go in, the apartments, the things that fill our schools. So we're really just reacting to what's happening in the community. And people sometimes will like to yell at us for growth. And, and we're passengers in the same car. We don't have a vote in terms of doing this or doing that. And it's very complicated. And, and the cities and, and the other uh, townships, we, we have a great relationship. They're obligated to do certain things. They just can't tell people no all the time. And so it's a lot more complicated than just, you know, why can't you manage your growth? Well, we can't control the housing development that's going in uh, on the corner of Rochester and Fort Meigs Road that's going to bring new students. In. We, we, we don't. But we'll do the best we can to educate those students. And if the community says we're fine with, with trailers, then we'll do the very best that we can. And, and, and you know, and, and we'll continue to do what we can for students and give them a great experience. So at the end of the day, that's kind of where we, you know, how we look at it. So I've got one last question before we close. The superintendent has a lot of duties, yeah. but your largest is education. Um, and with all the other issues in schools around the country, bullying, depression, school violence, racial inequality, uh, you know, political tension, and the financial issues that we discussed, which of those or what keeps you up at night? Well, Jack, I never really thought about it, but now that you remind me, I'm terrified. <laughs> um <laughs> No, I, I think um, we, we look at each individual student and, and their needs and what they're experiencing. And I, I think at the end of the day, um, what, what keeps me up at night is, is making sure that we're doing the best that we can for all students. You know, our mission, and I think if you, if you ask the teacher, and maybe that's your assignment tomorrow, is to go into your classroom and say, what is our mission statement? I would think that probably to a person, I think most of our staff would say, ensuring all students achieve their greatest potential. It's really become part of who we are and what we do. And we have the word all students, the word all capitalized. So what keeps me up at night is making sure that we are doing everything in our power to make sure that all students achieve the greatest potential. And, and you know, the students who are taking the AP classes and, and, you know, doing and having those experiences, we want them to be encouraged and, and to, to, to realize their full potential. And we're very competitive in Perrysburg. We want to be, you know, the very best at everything that we do. And we do look at how we stack up against not only schools in Northwest Ohio, but all schools, suburban Columbus and Cincinnati, um, Cleveland. We look at what we're doing against private schools and the fact that we, we, we beat them in so many measurable categories. We really like that. But what about that student who's in the back of the classroom who doesn't, isn't in the AP classes, who, who maybe is struggling? What are we doing for that student? How do we make sure that they're feeling safe in that classroom, that, that, that they can go through the day with, and feel like somebody cared for them, like Mrs. Jankowski did for me? Um, and then how, how can we make sure that they're getting you know, all that they can to be successful? And I think that's the struggle in today's world is, 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 you know, making sure that everyone is there. And that, that really is the thing that really drives what we do. Um, as an organization, we want to look in the mirror. And you know, in the morning, and probably not you, but I know when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, it's not pretty. And, uh, and it's probably not pretty now. 
but it's it's not a good site. And and as an organization, we have to have the courage to look in the mirror to see where we need to improve. And I think we do a good job of that. We don't want to get too complacent. We don't want to read our press clippings and think we're great. You know, we we're not. We can be better. And I think continuing to wake up to try to push the staff and the community to say, we need to take those steps forward. Let's try. And, you know, we're going to fail. And and failing isn't a bad thing as long as we fail forward and we learn from that and we get better. Um, you know, practicing music. I was in band. The first time I played a song, I, it, I, I failed. I couldn't play it correctly. And then you practice and you practice. And finally, at the very end, after all of those failures, you have this great ability to, to play this piece of music. And I think school is the same way in that we're, we're conditioning students to have that kind of grit to, to, you know, to challenge them, to fail, to get up, to learn, to, to process things. And, and at the end of the day, when they graduate, we have this beautiful, beautiful composition of graduates and that we're proud to call jackets. So I think that keeps us up. All the other things contribute to that. But at the end of the day, um, you know, we know we have an important role in the community and we don't want to, to mess that up. Yeah, that's what we need to do. We need to make sure that we're doing everything we can. Um, you know, and after this pandemic is over, uh, you know, we need to fail forward from it and in the future know what we need to do should we ever have to live through something like this again. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Tom Hostler, Superintendent of Perrysburg Schools, thank you for being here. I really appreciate it. Jack, it's been an honor. And, and uh, anytime, I really appreciate you inviting me on your show. So thank you. Hopefully your ratings won't drop now. Uh, I, I don't think they will. Um, but thank you to everyone who listened, right. submitted questions. Um, I you know, think that Mr. Hostler answered them very well. And uh, hopefully that calms some nerves because this is definitely a stressful time for everybody. Um, but yeah, this has been episode number 28 of Inside the 435. Uh, hope you all have a great evening. This has been Jack Bowie on Inside the 435. Don't lose track of the latest news. Follow Inside the 435 on Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you're always notified when a new episode goes live.